So, um, I mean, that all ramped up fast. Um, uh, right now, uh, I'm not sure of the exact numbers right now, but over, uh, I believe the last I checked, there were over 160,000 cases of the coronavirus, uh, roughly, I, I believe, over 6,000 deaths uh, worldwide. Uh, needless to say, this is a turbulent time. Uh, I don't know if we necessarily feel it right now. I think we are in varying places. Uh, if the internet is to be believed, many in society have already gone full season one, you know, of The Walking Dead, buying up everything in sight, locking themselves in their houses, uh, waiting for the inevitable apocalypse, while others are kind of refusing to believe that any of this is warranted. Uh, still think that this is some kind of grand conspiracy. Now, I think most of us are somewhere in between those things. Um, the truth is somewhere in the middle. I don't think this is the end of the world. And I don't think this is all just hype. And we shouldn't be changing anything about our daily lives. Now, regardless of what you think, I have no idea where you are. By the way, I can't even see your face. So I don't even know. can't even read that. But the next few weeks will be unprecedented. You know, I can't remember a time where everything was shut down like this. There, there's going to be no sports. There are going to be no live events. They will, there will more than likely be very few gatherings of any kind if we follow the route that Italy has gone. Restaurants and movie theaters will close soon. Hotels will be turned into hospitals. And the, the streets will undoubtedly become increasingly vacant. Right? It's going to feel empty. So whether you feel like it's warranted or not, things are definitely going to be different, you know, for at least the next few weeks, possibly more. So the question we're going to be looking at today is, why does God allow things like this, like these turbulent times, things that are outside of our control to interrupt the regular flow of our lives? And how can we respond to them? Now, a term I'll be using today is storms. Why does God allow these storms in our lives? And I have to define that term. Well, I'll be using the term in two ways today. Uh, one is just the literal word storm, the, the obvious meaning, the obvious definition, you know, kind of a weather event. Uh, but the other way I'll be using the word uh, as it pertains to this sermon, as it pertains to our life, is to mean a disruption of the natural rhythm of life that is outside of our control. Um, the definition is kind of broad and figurative, so I'll be using the literal word storm, the literal definition of the word, and then this kind of more figurative meaning. And I'll probably also be using the word literal a lot today. But uh, I, when I say literal, I mean literal, not figurative, like the way Chris Traeger uses it. Um, or Jenny uses it, for that matter, for our church people. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and hopefully you understood all of that. And if you didn't, I can't tell because I can't see you. But let's get into it. Um, so if you guys do have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to uh, the book of Mark. Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 35 through 41. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And um, you can look up on the screen if you guys don't uh, have it there. Once again, it's Mark 4, 35-31, and this is God's word. And it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, 
Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? Okay, so just a couple things to note immediately in the passage. Um, storms often form suddenly on the Sea of Galilee due to kind of some of the geographical, kind of geological things happening there. So even though uh, they shouldn't be surprised by a sudden storm, the disciples we see in this passage are still afraid to the point where they are fearing for their lives. Uh, Now remember also, some of the disciples were fishermen, so they were used to being at sea. So what we can extract from that is that this must have been a pretty serious storm to make them feel afraid. In fact, the text states that the waves were breaking into the boat, so it was already filling. The idea is the boat was filling up quickly with water. Now, the responses of the disciples and the Jesus could not be more different. When the waves start crashing into the boat, the disciples, essentially, they freak out, right? They panic. They think they're going to die. That's made apparent by their question to Jesus, like, don't you care? We're going to die. And on the other hand, Jesus is... He is, he's taking a nap. He's literally taking a nap in the boat. And the disciples, that's two completely different responses, right? The disciples are freaking out. Jesus is taking a nap. And the disciples wake him and say, teacher, don't you care we're about to die? You know, don't you care that we are perishing? Now, if you pay attention to that question, the disciples reveal that there is kind of some underlying premise, like something that they believe. Don't you care that we are perishing? means uh, if you cared about us, you wouldn't be letting us go through this. Right? They kind of assume that Jesus does not care, and they are inferring that from the fact that they're going through a storm and Jesus doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. Right? Like In other words, if you cared about us, Jesus, you wouldn't be allowing us to go through this storm, or maybe the, even the inverse, because we're going through this storm, you must not care about us. Now, clearly that's wrong. Uh, because, because Jesus both cares for them and allows them to go through the storm. And we know that because Jesus doesn't wake up and say, like, oh, my bad. You know, like, oh, I, was, I fell asleep, right? No, he doesn't say that. You know, sorry I allowed you to be afraid. He doesn't say that. Sorry I, I made you endure this storm. He doesn't say that. He, in fact, kind of rebukes them. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith? In other words, he does not agree with their premise Or apologize. Instead, he makes it clear that this storm, allowing this event to take place, is intentional, not accidental. It's not an oversight by Jesus. This is what he intended. Now, the question is why? Why does Jesus allow this storm to take place? And in answering that question, we'll see if we can't figure out why he might allow any storms of any kind, even the figurative kind in our lives, to take place as well. And so we'll see three things here. Why does Jesus allow storms to take place? Okay, first thing. 
Storms reveal our faith. Storms reveal our faith. Now, what happens to the disciples? When the storm happens, something outside of their control, something that's disrupting what is normally supposed to happen, they're supposed to go across this sea, and this is probably a particularly big storm or a scary storm because a lot of them have experience at sea, and they know that storms pop up, but they're scared for their lives, so they must, there must be a legitimate threat to their lives. Now, what happens they freak out. You know, they, they panic. Jesus, in fact, rebukes their lack of faith. Now, that's kind of the way things go, right? It's easy to be good when everything is going according to plan. It's easy to be good when everything is going the way that you expect it to go. You know, I always think about kind of the early stages of relationship, you know, um, like when you're in the honeymoon phase of a relationship, what's it like? You know, you're sitting there, you're with your significant other, and it's like, you know, oh, you know, what What do you want to eat, babe? <laughs> you know, it's like that, right? Like, oh, whatever you want to do, boo. I'm sorry. That was just, man, I just disgusted myself a little bit there. We got to edit that out later. But, you know, uh, that's kind of how it is, right? It's like, oh, everything's nice, and you kind of act cute to each other, and, you know, nothing seems to bother you. That's the honeymoon phase because, you know, you feel like all your expectations are being met at that moment until you realize, okay, maybe there are some, there's some conflict. There are some things that don't go exactly according to plan when there are outside factors, when stresses come in. Then what happens? All of a sudden, things get real, right? Then the nature of your heart is revealed a little bit. Uh, the same is true in our lives. It's only when the storms come. Right? It's, it's very easy to say, oh, well, you know, I trust in God. I trust in God when everything's good, when job's going well, you know, relationship's going well, family's going well, everything is going according to plan. But when something unexpected happens, when something that's outside of our control interrupts what's happening in our lives, that's when our heart, the, the true object of our faith, is revealed. Right, like when a when a coronavirus happens, it's pretty crazy. Uh, so much has happened in the past three days. So much has happened in this past week. Basically, and I'm sure it was like this for many of you too. I entered the week. I entered this week thinking, okay, I was prepping. I was supposed to guest preach at a different church this morning. Um, I was prepping the next message in the series that we were in, Give, Pray, Love. That feels like a million years ago now. I was dropping off Micah at school. And believe it or not, I was thinking about the fantasy basketball playoffs, which were about to happen. I'm in first place in our church league. And so I was like, hey, you know, here's what's happening. This is kind of what's going on in my life. And all of those things I just said, none of that even exists right now. That's all, that's all gone. And that's, that's kind of typically what we're doing is we're living our normal lives. And then suddenly, when something happens like coronavirus, uh, things are revealed about us. Now, what I would say is this is a gift, right? We can't know the state of our faith until our faith is challenged, until something happens, something from the outside. So that is one reason why... 
it seems Jesus would allow us to go through storms. Storms reveal our faith. And here's a second reason. Storms reveal our vulnerability. Storms reveal our vulnerability. Now, the storm causes the disciples to turn to Jesus and ask for help. Uh, because they realize that what's happening, the storm coming is beyond, there's not much that they can do about it. They don't start devising a plan or anything like that. Um, They basically immediately go to Jesus, they wake him up, and they urge him to do something. Now, uh, oftentimes we think, we like to believe that we're in control of everything. You know, that's the nature of our lives. We, we believe in kind of this illusion of control. It's almost like, you guys know, like, uh, like the Simpsons, you know, the, the, the intro, the, the introduction of the Simpsons when uh, Maggie is driving the car, right? And Maggie turns the car left and the car turns left. Maggie turns the car right, the car turns right. And uh, you think for a moment, it's like, oh, Maggie's driving the car. And then you pan out and you realize that. Marge is the one driving the car, and Maggie's just mimicking the movements of Marge. So she happens to be doing something that the car is also doing. Now, oftentimes, that is more the case in our lives. We think that we are kind of controlling everything that's happening in, the, in our world. But oftentimes, things are kind of just happen to be following uh, the things that we do have control of. And it's only when, like, Maggie will never know that she's not driving the car unless she turns the the wheel to the right and the car goes to the left, right? Like, that's when she realizes, oh, wait a minute, I'm not in control of the car. You know, it's only when the storm comes from the outside, something that threatens our vulnerability, something that, that threatens our normal life, reveals our vulnerability, that we realize, like, oh, shoot, you know, I'm not in control of everything, Oh, no, you know, I don't necessarily have uh, power over everything. Now, when this happens, uh, when we go through a storm, uh, I think there are a couple of of kind of wrong ways to respond uh, because, you know, we recognize like, oh, no, my vulnerability is threatened. Uh, one of the ways to the one of the kind of wrong ways to respond is probably the same way that the disciples respond. They panic. You know, stock up on uh, toilet paper and hand sanitizer. This is how people end up hurting themselves or others. And uh, I even see this with uh, Micah sometimes. Like he gets really excited. He'll get really excited about something. And sometimes it's not even it's not even panic necessarily. It's just in kind of he's so excited. And it almost like turns into panic. He gets too <laughs> excited and then he'll do something. He'll hurt himself. He'll jump around. He's jumping around and he'll fall on the floor. He'll like bump his head. He'll hurt himself because he's just like out of control. Now, that's one wrong way to respond to a storm. A second wrong way, I think, to respond to a storm when our vulnerability is revealed is that we can just dismiss it. You know, we can ignore it. We can. Make fun of people who worry about it. We can try to endlessly distract ourselves from it by occupying our minds with something else. Now, this typically does not solve the problem. Overdose on TV shows and video games and food and drink, this isn't typically going to um, solve this. 
uh, eventually the storm is just going to overtake us and it's going to just sink the boat. So it does no good to downplay the seriousness of a storm when it comes. So the first two things, storms reveal our faith. Storms reveal our vulnerability. Now, finally, uh, storms reveal the power of Jesus. Storms reveal, I'll say it this way, the terrifying power of Jesus. Now, it's important to remember, whenever there's anything about the sea, you know, in the Bible, it's important to remember that among ancient cultures, and this is like across the board, whatever uh, religion or whoever your gods were, uh, the sea was uncontrollable by any power but God, by a god or some kind of god or god. In ancient cultures and legends, the sea was a symbol of unstoppable destruction. Right? The ocean in full fury was an unmanageable power. Only God could truly control it. Now, knowing that, it's incredible that Jesus literally wakes up from a nap and then just tells the sea to be quiet. That is what happens in this story. The disciples are fearing for their lives, and they, Jesus wakes up from a nap and just says, hey, calm down basically. He basically says, you know, be quiet, and that's it. Like, that's amazing. Uh, He treats the sea like a kid, you know, like a child, basically. And on top of that, if I were to say that to my own child, my own child wouldn't respond that well. It would not, like, I don't have that much power over my own biological child and jesus treats the sea like that now it's incredible because at the end of the story jesus's display of power is so it's so great that it actually does not calm the disciples down if you look at the end of the story it actually inspires even greater fear right they it says in verse 41 they were filled with great fear and said to one another Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Like, isn't that, isn't that crazy? And that's really how you would respond if you also were in this situation. If you were on a boat and a storm came, you know, a little storm comes and it's like shaking up the boat. And some dude who's taking a nap in the back wakes up and comes out to the front of the boat and says, hey, calm down to the ocean And the sea stops. Like, that would be incredible. Uh, This miracle, however, like all of Jesus' miracles in the gospel, is not merely about what Jesus is capable of doing. It's about who Jesus is. The point being, ultimately in this story, Jesus doesn't have access to power. Jesus is power. Right. So so he doesn't have Jesus doesn't have, you know, quote unquote, the power to control the sea. Right. Like, uh, I don't know, like Aquaman or something, you know, like Storm of the X-Men. Now, if you or I saw Aquaman or Storm, we'd probably be like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Like, that's amazing. Wow. You can control the weather. That's impressive. You know, wow. You can talk to fish. I don't actually know how impressive that is. That doesn't seem like that's that great. But, you know, whatever. Right. You'd still think, wow, you're buff. Like, that's amazing. Right, but no, Jesus isn't a mutant, you know, or or an Avenger or something. He, uh, 
the, the story shows us that Jesus doesn't have access to power, right? He is power. He doesn't have, have power over the sea. He lends power to the sea. In fact, anyone and anything in the universe that has power has to borrow it from him. You know, there's no epic battle here, right? Jesus doesn't battle the sea for power. He doesn't, he doesn't even actually, like, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't even do some kind of incantation or some spell. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, like, I don't know if you remember the X-Men, <laughs> the cartoon, but even when Storm would, like, use her power, she would, like, say some long-winded speech, like, and sometimes she would use, like, a bad pun, you know, or something. She would be like, she would be like, you know, power of, power of rain, like, you know, quench their thirst for violence or something. Like, that's, she would do something weird like that. Like, that's, even she would do that, right? Jesus literally doesn't, he just says, be quiet. That's it. That's the whole battle. And even if Superman had shown up, he'd have to do, like, he'd have to pick up the boat or he'd use his, you know, he'd use his, his, uh, what is it? Like his super breath or whatever. It's like a weird power. But he uses a super breath. He would blow the wind away or he'd pick up the boat. None of that. Now, you know, I, I mentioned in the previous point a couple of wrong ways to respond to storms. Panic. Right? Another one. Is, now, here's another one. It's a wrong way to deal with a storm, but it feels right. Um, it is to try to defeat the storm with sheer will, right? It is try to get the water out of the boat faster than it fills up. You know, we try to face it head on, take matters into our own hands. Now, th- this is this is nuts when you think about it. You know, it takes a certain level of self-determination to even attempt this. But it doesn't make sense when you think about it. None of the disciples think they they panic and they wake up, and which ultimately is a good thing. But none of here's what none of them do. None of the disciples go to the front of the boat and then say, "Calm," you know, to the ocean, because they recognize they don't have the power to do that. Like when we're in a storm, it it behooves us to recognize that the storm is greater than us. It has more power than us. Now, it would be wrong, uh, and this is not the point, and so it would be wrong for us to take this one event of Scripture and then make the application. Whenever we face a storm, Jesus is going to wake up and stop it, right? That's not ultimately kind of the point, and trust me, if you're a Christian, uh, you won't live a storm-free life. In fact, what the Bible says when we take it in its totality is that if you're a Christian, you will most certainly face storms in life. I mean, everyone will face storms in life, but particularly Christians. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That is a type of outside interruption, disruption of our normal lives that is beyond our control. Luke 6.22-23, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. The idea is that Christians will face all kinds of storms, including persecution. So, storms reveal our faith, 
Storms reveal our vulnerability. Storms reveal the terrifying power of Jesus. Now, is that it? Is that kind of it? Is that where we're left at the end to be like, okay, it's good to recognize um, where my faith is, to to examine my faith. It's good to recognize that I'm vulnerable and that I'm not all-powerful and that I don't have control of everything. And it's good to recognize that I should go to Jesus because he is terrifyingly powerful, more powerful than anything I will ever face now, that's not it, okay? Cause, because there is a point underneath the point of this storm. And it is perhaps the main point of this entire passage. And it is this. We can fully trust Jesus in the midst of any storm because he has already conquered the greatest storm. Now, this story actually closely resembles uh, both in terminology and in kind of plot details, the one told in Jonah. Now, if you remember, Jonah is called by God to preach to the Ninevites, a people that was known to be particularly heinous, you know, lower in the eyes of the Jews. And so Jonah, due to his personal prejudices against that nation, he didn't want God to forgive them. He actually thought that they were beneath him. And so God calls him to preach to the Ninevites a message of repentance. But Jonah, as we know, he runs away. He goes the opposite direction, right? He felt that his people were better. He didn't want God to do that. And so while he's on the boat running away from God, this is what happens. So this is, this is Jonah 1. We'll read uh, from, from 4 all the way through 16, so this entire story. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? You know, it's kind of like, what are you doing, right? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows right there are a lot of similarities between this story and the one found in mark 4 there's a storm there's a sudden storm 
right? A wind picks up. There's a sudden storm. The people on the boat panic, right? Much like the story in Mark 4. Someone is sleeping. In Mark, it's Jesus. Here, it's Jonah. And that sleeping person is awoken by the others who are afraid. And finally, after the storm subsides, the people are more afraid. Right? At the end of the Mark story, they're not comforted by the fact that Jesus stops the storm. They're more afraid. And at the end of uh, the story of Jonah, the people are not comforted by the fact that tossing Jonah into the ocean uh, kind of God, Hebrews, uh, the Lord, Yahweh, they are actually exceedingly afraid, the Bible tells us. Now, there is obviously one very noticeable difference between the story in Mark and the story in Jonah. That is, of course, what Jesus does and what Jonah does, like how they respond to the storm. When the storm comes up, Jesus, of course, just says a couple words, and the storm was dead calm. You know, if you literally translate it, it's like dead, like not moving at all, which is incredible to think about because when have you ever seen the sea or really anything, even a pool or a bathtub, like dead calm, that rarely ever happens. Of course, when they tell Jonah about what's going on, here's what Jonah says. Jonah says, there's only one thing to do. Throw me into the ocean. You know, sacrifice me because I'm the reason that this is happening. If you do that, I'll die, but you guys will live. Now, Jesus, in, in Mark's story, doesn't sacrifice himself so that others can live. Jesus doesn't disappear for three days and then suddenly reappear and start a movement of repentance like Jonah does, right? Because he goes into the, the belly of the fish. Jesus doesn't do that in Mark's story here. Of course, when you take a step back and you look at the rest of the story, you see that that's exactly what Jesus does. See, Jesus is saying, I'm the true Jonah. One day I'll calm all the storms. I will still all the ways. I will destroy destruction. I will break brokenness. I will put death to death. When Jesus tells the storm to shut up, and it does, that is not the greatest demonstration of Jesus' power. The greatest demonstration of Jesus' power is not that he can stop the storm. It is that he, who nothing is beyond his control, nothing is beyond his power, and yet he can have the willingness to step into the storm. He can face the storm. He can allow himself to become victim of the storm in the face of the greatest storm, in the face of the greatest adversity, in the face of the greatest trial, which is the cross. Jesus, while still being in full control, gives himself up willingly for our sake to be crucified unjustly, to be punished for us, for our forgiveness, for our salvation. That is the greatest demonstration of the power and the love of Christ. Therefore, we can fully trust Jesus in the midst of any storm because he himself has faced the ultimate storm. He did sacrifice himself 
for us. And he came out victorious. See, what we need most is not the absence of storms. It is the freedom from the fear of storms. Where is your faith? Is Jesus' question. When you understand who Jesus is and you realize not just what he can do, but that you have him. Or perhaps more precisely, that he has you. The storm doesn't matter. That is the gift of the storm. Because it's only when you go through the storm and you cling to Jesus that you learn a steadfast heart. A steadfast heart of faith is built on trusting in Christ in the face of adversity. You know, that is the opportunity that we have now. Now make no mistake, church, we are in an unprecedented moment. And we might look back years from now and we might think, wow, we really re- overreacted to that. You know, like, wow, that was crazy. I can't believe we did that. And we may look back years from now and remember all of the hardship that we experienced. Uh, but in any case, whatever the case may be, it's funny. Like, I was thinking about it this week and I was like, because you know, completely different series, right? And obviously, the window now. Um, but it's it you know it happens to be Lent now. The the period of Lent, and we're all kind of in a forced fast now, you know. Like you may not have been fasting anything, but a lot of the things that you enjoy they're gone. <laughs> they're gonna be gone for a while. And so was a week ago. Now we know that this moment is an opportunity, and I would ask you make the most of this opportunity. Uh, examine your heart, right? Acknowledge your vulnerability. Uh, Most importantly, uh, witness the power of Christ moving in the face of the storm and remember his greatest power, which was demonstrated on the cross, the greatest storm. So that whenever we face any storm of any kind, we can confidently look to him for help. You know, let's um, let's let's pray together. And um, I actually want to offer. I'm gonna kind of throw out some topics that we can pray for. Um, you know, and then I'll, I'll hand it over to Randy afterwards. But um, you know, let's pray for kind of the the coronavirus. Uh, I know for many of us, probably on the on the stream right now, we may not be the most at risk. I mean, we aren't the most at risk, but we do know that there are these more vulnerable classes of people, older people, maybe our parents, um, those who are immunocompromised, people who have already been sick or people who have been through any kind of, um, you know, an illness in the past that that has affected their immune system. Um, If we do know people in that situation, and even if we don't, let's really pray for those people um, let's spend some time, you know, we'll, we'll offer up kind of some minutes while, while Randy is, um, leading us in worship a little bit, but let's, let's pray for those people, but let's also pray, you know, if you have, if you feel like you're going through a storm right now, and it may be this, you know, it may be related to the coronavirus, it may not be related to the coronavirus, it may be related to job, you know, 
losing a job potentially or you've lost a job or you can't find a job or financial stress or familial struggles or relational issues or illness, you know, anxiety, fear, uh, being a parent, wanting to be a parent, being single, wanting to be in a relationship, you know, maybe not wanting to be in a relationship. Like these are all kind of things that we may be facing and going through. And I would really just offer you some time um, to just pray, look to Jesus in the midst of the storm and remember that he has faced the greatest storm on our behalf and one. And I would say if you if you're on the stream and you don't you don't know the truth of that yet, you know, maybe you're learning it, maybe you're discovering it, but you would like to know it. Um, just pray that to God, you know, ask Jesus to teach you that faith. And, you know, I assure you, he will. He delights to answer that prayer. And so let's um, let's spend some time just kind of praying for these things. Let's pray.